0: Lord we pray for those who are not able to be with us this morning because of ill health and we do thank you that though they're not able to be here that you are still with them and we pray that they would know your presence with them as you guide them and hold them fast as your word is read shortly and as Mark opens it up for us we do pray that we would hear you speaking to us this morning that you would make us willing to respond to what you say as we seek to continue to become more like, like Jesus each day. In his name we pray. Amen.
1: Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12, and that's page 628 of the Church Bibles. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there.
0: Thanks Peter, well good morning everyone, it's great to see you Um, If you have a Bible with you, it'd be great if you could keep that passage open Um, I'll refer to it a few times, um, obviously through this morning Um, But should we come to God's word and pray and ask that he'd help us understand um, Something of this wonderful psalm together (coughs) Heavenly Father, this psalm teaches us about you And it teaches us about ourselves and how we are to relate to you that we might find the way everlasting and find a joy in life and a joy in death that can be found nowhere else. So please help us to understand what these glorious verses mean and please would they transform our hearts and lives. Amen. Well, as um, Wellesley shared earlier, we're coming to the end of uh, a second part of our two-week series, looking at this wonderful psalm, Psalm 139. We'll we'll carry on next week in the whole theme of thinking about who God is uh, and moving on to a different passage of Scripture. But for those who weren't here last week, I'm just going to do a little summary because last week and this week kind of fit together. Um, If you weren't able to listen, then perhaps you could go online and have a listen to the talk from last week because they they do sort of sit side by side and and you might find that helpful. But just by way of a recap, remember last week we were thinking about one of these great attributes of God, um, his omniscience, Um, a funny word that just means that God knows everything. Uh, And we look particularly at uh, verse 1. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. Remember that word search meant to dig like digging in a garden to find treasure. God knows everything that there is to know about every one of us. Then we reflected on a a sort of quotation by um, a great man of God from the 4th century, a man called Augustine, who said, We're talking about God. What wonder is it that you don't understand? If you can understand it, it's not God. And this is his reflection, not saying that you and I cannot know God in a real way, remember we were singing that children's song last week don't put him in a box, don't shove him in a corner and that's what Augustine was on about if we try and contain God and have a measure of God and, and fit him into a nice little neat mould it won't work because Augustine came to realise God is just too big and too wonderful for that and then as we looked at verse 1 and verse 5 and we're going to look at another verse particularly with this I asked the question as you read those verses do they comfort you or do they threaten you Because they could equally do either. And I teed up that one of the reasons that sometimes these sort of verses threaten is because we don't want God to know us. We don't want to believe in a God, perhaps. We don't want to believe in a God who knows everything. And so one of the things we do if these verses do threaten us is maybe we try and run from him. And I teed up last week that the verses we're going to look at today teach us that none of us can run from God. And so this week, we're going to look at another word, omnipresent. It comes from two Latin words, omni meaning all, and presens that means present. simply means that God is present everywhere, all of the time. So come to verse 7, and we'll try and see how that even begins to be possible, because it's mind-blowing, isn't it? Uh, David, who's the writer, King David, uh, he says in verse 7, Where can I go? from your spirit he's reflecting on the character and nature of God and he recognizes that God is eternal he recognizes that God is uncreated and he recognizes that God is infinite you can't kind of get out a ruler and measure God you can't put him in a box and shove him in the corner he'd never fit God is eternal but he is spirit Uh, and because he is spirit he's not limited like you and I are limited by time and space I can be here and you can sit there Or we could swap places and I would be there and you would be here. But you and I cannot be here and there at the same time. Pretty simple. But that's not true of God ever. He can be here and there and everywhere all of the time. And that is why this psalm is an amazing psalm. And I hope and pray it will continue to comfort you. But perhaps it will continue to threaten you. Listen to some of the words of God who is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Amazing verses, aren't they? amazing verses about an amazing god who is everywhere and we can't run from him which is why then david asked the kind of rhetorical question do you see at the end of verse seven where can i flee from your presence perhaps another way he could have put it is where is god not where is god not and the answer the bible says is he is everywhere and that's only possible because he is the creator and because he is spirit, which means he's not conditioned and defined by time and by space. Do you remember last two, uh, last week, verse 2, which I said, I hope is a comfort to you. Um, you know when I sit down and when I rise. And one of the kind of illustrations or applications I gave of that is there will never be a time in your life when a tear runs down your face and God doesn't see it. Never because if he's everywhere and he knows all things he doesn't miss anything so he knows you perfectly and you never ever will experience a difficult moment in your life without God knowing about it and caring about it could you say that of any other human being I think it's an amazing truth and I hope that as we continue to reflect on the character of God in one sense I hope your mind will be blown by how awesome he is but I hope as well that your heart will be warmed by how close he is isn't it the most amazing truth that the God who created everything is or can be your God I was talking just to a friend uh, yesterday who said two nights ago when it was really really uh, cold like last night and he looked up in his telescope at the beautiful stars and your mind goes wow look at all of that but then to be able to reflect and go and I know the God who made all of that And I know that he loves me. That is just mind-blowing, isn't it? And that is a truth that we could all enjoy. So come to verse 8, because uh, David, I imagine, as he's reflecting on this, might have been kind of walking around his palace, rather like I'm walking around now. And not long ago, I was in the city of David in Jerusalem. And I was looking across Jerusalem where David was. I imagine him walking around, perhaps walking up some stairs... And as he's pacing around his palace, he asked the question, if I go up to the heavens, God, you're there. And then I imagine him walking back down again and trying to wrestle with these amazing truths of who God is. And he says, listen, if I go, if I make my bed in the depths, God, you're there. And he keeps walking around his palace, reflecting on these amazing truths. And he walks over to one side of his palace and he says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, it's a reference to the east, God, you are there. And then he goes to the far other side of his palace. If I settle on the far side of the sea, you are there. And David is is grappling with how big God is as he walks around this enormous palace and says, everywhere within this palace, you are there, God. And every far, as far as I can see and so much further... You are there. And do you notice in those verses which are now on the screen behind me, notice the pairs. David the writer is sort of saying the heavens and the depths. He's saying the east, the wings of the dawn and the far side of the sea, a reference to the west. It's a way of saying here and here and by implication everything in between. It's his expression of God is everywhere. Which is why he says in verse seven, where can I flee from his presence? One writer this week, as I was reflecting on these verses, was reflecting on on the great truth. And we sing a song, don't we? He holds the whole world in his hands. It's a Sunday school song that we've all sung. And the, the writer was reflecting and kind of saying, listen, if I try and run away from God, it's kind of like running from one of his hands to the other. I can't run from God. He created everything. It's as it were, holding the whole world just in the palm of his hand. And David reflects on that. But more than that, notice how he goes on. For David, it's not just the fact that God is there wherever David is. But look at verse 10. He says, There, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. that phrase is really speaking of the kind of A gentle but firm reassuring hand that maybe a father would put on the shoulder of the young daughter. You picture a small child who's scared, maybe the dark in the night. And the father comes and wraps an arm around or lays a firm hand on his daughter or his son's shoulder. And there has to be a firmness to kind of say, I've got you. But there's a gentleness as well saying, I love you. And suddenly the child feels reassured. And that's the picture you get here. Wherever I go, you're there, and not only are you there, your hands is upon me. And David, I think, is seeing a great comfort in that. Now I want to apply this. We're going to watch a short video. It's just a comical video that will help us with one little application of this. Um, so just enjoy this two or three minute little video clip. <laughs> uh, when you and I forget things, which we do all the time, and sometimes in marriages we can forget things and it can get us into a lot of trouble. Um, We can laugh at forgetting, can't we? We all forget different things. But here's an amazing truth. God can never forget. Not in the sense of forgetting about you. You think of God who knows everything, the God who is everywhere. There's nowhere in the world where you can be and God's kind of forgotten about you. And I think that's a massively reassuring truth. There are seven billion plus people on the planet. God knows everyone by name. And he never ever forgets any of them. And he's always thinking of all of them, all of the time. God doesn't have favorites. I think that is an astonishing truth to reflect on. Another little application. Some people may be asking, but well, hang on a minute. I've read in my Bible many times verses that say something like God is far away. Uh, where the Bible writers talk about God being far away is not talking about him in the sense we might be thinking. It's more far away in the sense of not present to bless. So when we read in the Bible of God withdrawing his presence, it doesn't mean he's literally gone away. It means he's withdrawn his blessing, often because of his right judgment or to show people what life is like without God. But we cannot flee from his presence. He is present everywhere, but he's particularly present in the sense of when he chooses to bless So as you reflect on last week and this week, I hope what you're beginning to grow, and I've really been experiencing this in my own life in the last couple of weeks, that God is getting bigger and bigger to you, but also you're recognizing God is also good. He's not that vindictive tyrant perhaps you thought he was, or the God who lets you down. He's a good God. So let's come back to the question of last week. Verse 1, verse 5, does that comfort you? Does that threaten you? Let's chuck into it too, verse 7, that's at the bottom there as you read that verse uh, where can I go from your spirit where can I flee from your presence does that comfort you or does it threaten you look how the passage continues into verse 11 David knows the comfort of God but there would have been times in his life where he kind of would have wanted to run from God he would have wanted to hide because of the shame he felt in his life uh, you reflect on, uh, on when do robbers and assassins carry out their work. They always carry it out at night, don't they? Why? Because they cannot be seen. And David is perhaps for a moment at least thinking, okay, God knows everything, he's everywhere, he sees everything, but is there ever a time when I can just run from him? Because I don't want him to see this about me. And so there's almost a hopeful ring to verse 11, where David says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. He's kind of saying, maybe, maybe I can hide from God a little bit. And then reality kicks in in verse 12. He goes, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. He has this little moment, can I hide from God? And then he comes crashing down, I can't hide from God. Why does that matter for you and I? Let me just think about a suffering, something difficult in the world. There is no dark place anywhere in the world, you know, the darkest, dingiest alley or warehouse where something atrocious takes place that God doesn't see. There's no dark, dark family home where there's deep, deep loneliness that God doesn't see. There's no situation of addiction or shame that God doesn't see. And that's a wonderful thing because... It, God cares there's nothing that goes on in the world that's not good that God just goes well I didn't see it or I'm not bothered he cares about everything that's awful but then you take that a little bit further and you reflect on your own heart as I reflect on my own heart God sees all the darkest places in the world that means he sees into here the, the things in my heart that aren't good the things in your heart that aren't good and Sometimes we do run from God and we try and pretend, don't we? You think of Adam and Eve in the garden when they their hearts turned aside from God. What did they do? They ran and hid. And where did they hide? In a bush or amongst some trees. Think about this, given everything we've learned. The living God who is everywhere, who sees everything, and they feel shame in their heart and they go and ride and run and hide in a bush. And the whole point of reading that is you go, that is madness, How can I run from God and hide in a bush? But we all do it, don't we? We can all run from God, like Adam and Eve, and yet he found them straight away, like he finds us straight away. Darkness is as light to him. So as we pull together some of last week and this week, I've just got three short little things I want us to think about together, which I hope will leave you with comfort. The first one is thinking about the presence of God. Is this truth, I think this psalm teaches, that you can run from God, but you can't hide. Think about the loving God who we we, we speak about many times here, created you and me for a relationship with Him. Because He loves you. Because you're not an accident, you're not a mistake. He wants you to be in a relationship with Him. Not to restrict you, but to flourish and help you to enjoy Him and enjoy life. And He sees everything. He sees everywhere because He's present everywhere which means he sees into our hearts and when he sees into our hearts he sees things that aren't perfect the things that aren't good and and it's it's like God takes open our heart and he rips it open to expose everything that's in it and we thought about that last week and that's kind of terrifying isn't it and humiliating and I don't want him to see into my heart but the reality is he can but there comes a problem then because he's created me for a relationship but I've got this heart that's been ripped open he sees what's inside it and the things that inside it are bad and I can't then just walk into the presence of God. Because he is perfect in every way and I'm not. And you read in the Old Testament particularly, when people just tried to walk into the presence of God with their hearts ripped open, exposed for all that they are. Well, I can just know God. They died instantly. Such was the perfection and holiness of God. And we're going to think about that together next week. I think it's an incredible truth that the presence of God means that you and I can run but we cannot hide it's terrifying but it's also wonderful Uh, a little quote from C.S. Lewis from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia I've shared this before from the front Susan is talking to Mr. Beaver and Mr. Beaver says Aslan is a lion, the lion the great lion and Susan replies oh, I thought he was a man is he quite safe? I'd be rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, says Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. When you reflect on what's on the screen, the presence of God, you can run and you cannot hide. You probably feel unsafe. But that's a good place. Because you're exposed by a God who is good. And we'll come to think about that further. Here's a second thing to think about. Think about the power of God. This is a difficult truth. That judgment is real and is for all people. To help illustrate that, let me show you um, a few verses from the book of Isaiah. God is speaking about his people. And the way these verses come is there's a kind of question from God. Then there's a call from God. And then there's an explanation of the reality. Here it comes. Notice the question from God. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Then comes the call from God. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But then comes the reality, and this is something that saddens the heart of God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches... Go. Walk in the light of your fires, of your torches that you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. These are really, really hard verses, but what God is saying is, if you choose to live your life, if I choose to live my life without God, and as it were, I don't walk in His light, but instead I have my own torch, Trying to find my own way in his world. I can go alone. I can do it my way. He just says, it won't work because you can't run from me. And that word there that is torment, it's really a word that's used elsewhere in the Bible. It simply it speaks of separation. And the reason that God can describe separation from him as torment is because he as creator is the source of everything that's good. And if I become separated from that, of course I'll be in torment. Because I'll enjoy nothing good. And God here is warning his people saying, I don't want you to experience that. I want you to experience what is good. And what is good is found in relationship with me. Think of another verse in Hebrews chapter 4. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account that's one of the great realities of life that we have to give account to the God who made us. Now I know this, the whole thing about the anger and wrath of God is, is kind of difficult truth. I, I was reading a brilliant uh, writer, this lady this week really helped me with this. So Just listen to her words. If we are resistant to the idea of the wrath of God, perhaps we ought to pause and reflect the next time we are outraged by something. About property values being threatened, or our children's educational opportunities being limited, or our tax breaks being eliminated. All of us are capable of anger at something. God's anger, however, is pure. It's not an emotion that flares up from time to time as though God had temper tantrums like a child. It's a way of describing his absolute anger against all that is wrong and his coming to set things right. Have you ever been to London and uh, seen the Old Bailey? And on top of the Old Bailey is Lady Justice and there she is on the picture. And notice what she's got. In one hand she has a set of weighing scales. In the other hand a sword. How does the Old Bailey work? A person who's been arrested is placed on the scales, and if they're found wanting, what happens? The sword of justice strikes them. And we would all say that's a good thing. Our prisons are a good thing. The justice system is a good thing. Our police officers are good people, most of the time. Justice, we all say, is a good thing. Why? Because when something is unjust, not right, we say it should be punished. We don't want criminals to run loose in our country. But suddenly, when we are placed in the scales, we suddenly go, I don't like the wrath of God now. It doesn't make sense, does it? And actually, we should see that the wrath of God is a loving thing. It's a function of his holiness. It tells us he is utterly, utterly committed to dealing with everything in the world that is not right. And you'll sit there, and I'll stand here, and I'll go, I don't like what is not right, and I want it dealt with. And God says, I will deal with it. But that means I've got to deal with you too. But here's the glorious truth, because it doesn't end there, and the Christian faith does not end there, and the gospel does not end there. Here's the great thing that we see at the end of this psalm. Yes, the presence of God is all-consuming. You can run, but you can't hide. Yes, the power of God means that judgment is real, and that it's for all of us. But here's the amazing truth. Think about the protection of God, Jesus Christ, our great rescuer. It's because God sees everything and because God is everywhere that we can find protection in him. I don't know if you noticed in our little psalm. If you have your Bible there, just flip back to it. We're not looking at the whole of the psalm. We've just finished at verse 12. But jump to the end of the psalm and notice how it finishes. Because the psalm began, verse 1, where David says, You, God, have searched me and you know me. And he's humbled by that truth. But at the end of the psalm, he asks God to search him. Look what he says. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And no doubt some of those anxious thoughts are David when he recognizes that his heart's been exposed. But look at how it ends, and I think it's is wonderful. David prays to God and says, see if there is an offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And friends, that way everlasting is the way of Jesus Christ, because he himself, when he walked this earth, said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks with me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You think of that picture atop the old bailey, the scales and the sword. And when our heart is wrenched open, we recognize that we need to be on the scales. and We recognize that we actually deserve the sword. But the incredible truth is God is so utterly committed to every one of us that he doesn't let us sit on the scales. Instead, a person sat on the scales whose heart, when it was ripped open, there was nothing impure in it. Nothing. But he went and stood on the scales, though he didn't deserve to be there. And God's sword of anger fell on him so that it doesn't have to fall on you and so that it hasn't got to fall on me. And therefore, as we sang in a song earlier, to reject that is to reject the most amazing Example and truth of love that you could find anywhere in the universe. What God wants to do with this psalm is expose our heart, and we don't like it. But then He wants to heal our heart. Lead me in the way everlasting. There's a story in the Bible told of a young man who, as it were, would perhaps reflected on a psalm like this and. Didn't like the truth of God knowing everything. Didn't like the truth of God being everywhere. And so he ran away. He left his father and he ran away. And he went his own way. And, and to start with, perhaps it wasn't particularly immoral. It wasn't particularly bad. He just didn't want God in his life. He didn't want his father. He turned his back on everything. And he went off to a distant land. And to start with, it was all fine. And then gradually, the things that he set his heart on that would satisfy him never really did satisfy him. The things he set his hopes and dreams on never really fulfilled him. And so he started pursuing other things that maybe would give him the satisfaction. Squandering the money he had. Fulfilling sexual fantasies and living with prostitutes. Maybe that is where I'll find joy, he thought. And he never did. It always just spat him out the other side. And he was always discouraged. He was always hopeless. And this man eventually had nothing. And he recognized that going it his way rather like Isaiah 50 when he took his own torch trying to light his own path it wasn't working and there's this beautiful line in that story and you'll know the story I'm referring to many of you it comes in Luke chapter 15 the verse verse reads this then he came to his senses it was like a moment where he laid down the torch and another torch went on but in his mind and suddenly he could see for the first time and his heart was warmed and he thought I'm going to go back and he starts walking back and he sees his home where she had turned his back on in the distance and he sees it over there and he starts walking towards it but his head is just hung in shame because I don't really deserve to go back and I don't know what's going to happen when I go back and then he catches his father's eye and of course quickly he looks away because of the shame but they keep walking further and closer together and then he sees his father and he hears the patter of his father's feet and they're speeding up Because his father's running towards him. And guess what? His father never ran. His father's running towards him, and now he starts getting scared. He looks and he expects to see in his father's eye anger. He's gonna make his son work. He's gonna pay his son back. He's gonna cast him out of his presence. He's gonna say, Turn round, go back. You don't deserve a second chance. But the closer he gets to his father, who's running even faster now, he suddenly sees this big smile on his father's face. And it's like everything goes into slow-mo. Rather like you see on the films and then he's just a yard away from his father and what happens? The father gives him the most almighty embrace rather like the hand I explained earlier that rests on the child's shoulder there's the kind of security I'm with you but there's the gentleness of the love and he comes back to his father and he's expecting nothing from his father other than abuse or judgment or to be turned away he knows that his heart has been exposed his father knows everything that he's done and yet his father accepts him home his heart has been healed and friends this is the heart and love and a picture of the heart and love of God he does expose all of our hearts he doesn't turn a blind eye to it he doesn't not see it There is nowhere that God is not. But when he sees this heart, he just says, but I love you despite your heart and I want to heal it. And that is the truth of the gospel, that we don't need to keep running from God. Why? Because the price has been paid. We don't need to prove ourselves to God. We don't need to be something before God wants us. He just says, like the father, come home. And maybe you're a Christian and you have been running from God because of shame in your life, something you've done and you think God wouldn't love me, God would never forgive me. Look to the cross because you know he will. And he just says, come home. And maybe there are others who are here and you know that for the whole of your life you've been running from God. Maybe because you didn't really understand who God was. Didn't know the love that he had for you. And he's just saying, come home because I love you. And the choice is, will I take up that offer or will I continue my own way with my own torch? But we know where that leads, and it leads away from everything that is good. Friends, this offer of the way everlasting is a gift that cannot be earned, but a gift that God holds out to every single one of us because He loves us. And it's the gift that is utterly life transforming if we receive it for ourselves. Just going to ask, um, Wellesley to, as we're seated to read the verses we've looked at from Psalm 139 just to give us a chance to reflect on these glorious truths. And then why don't we just sit and have a moment of quiet to reflect. Maybe you can think again of the story that I've just told. And we'll close the service shortly after with a final song. Just listen to these
1: words as they're read. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts first hand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back, I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there, then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming. And going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, You'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you investigate my life oh God find out everything about me cross examine and test me get a clear picture of what I'm about see for yourself whether I've done anything wrong then guide me on the road to eternal life
0: just take a moment to reflect and um, the music group will come up and lead us uh, in a second
1: He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him. At such a cost. He will hold me fast. Thank you Lord for that wonderful promise. That your powerful right hand with which you created the world. Will hold us fast through all. Life's challenges and trials and realities. We're held in the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present hands of a loving Heavenly Father. Please send us out into the week ahead, safe in the knowledge that you go before us, that you lead our way. That you dwell within us, in our hearts, by your Spirit. And that your hand will hold us fast. And we pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.